epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, and we've got a really good show for you this week. I've got Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers, John Fulkerson and Eve Pons from Tennessee joining me. Now, why are they all three going to be on this podcast? Because we're releasing the new Power 36 on this podcast because the season will start on November 25th. Yes, we talked about this throughout the course of the summer. I told you, for our regular listeners, the season was going to happen. There was going to be an NCAA tournament. I believed it. And while, of course, everything is fluid, we know things can change. We know that. But now we have a date, November 25th, 15 days later than originally scheduled for November 10th. Practice can start on October 14th, actually this week. The week of September 21st, the hours have increased by four hours a week in terms of the gatherings of these players with their coaches. But official team practice, October 14th, used to be October 15th. And so what has happened in the last week since this announcement of the Division I Council last week of September 16th when they made the announcement of November 25th? Non-conference schedules are starting to be formulated. Conferences starting to think about when they're going to start their seasons. And I can tell you, I haven't pulled every conference, but I will tell you that every conference plans on playing non-conference. And even, you heard it here right now, the Ivy League. Yes, the Ivy League said they weren't going to play before January 1st. Initially, it's going to get massaged a little is my prediction. I predict they will be massaged to where they will allow non-conference after the final exams are over in December. A few weeks in December. Ivy League teams will be allowed to play games. That's my prediction. We'll wait and see if that's true. So if that happens, every league, all 32, will play some form of non-conference, and the suggestion was a minimum of four. That was not mandated. Before conference play. And they're all going to play conference play beginning probably around, I'd say, December 30th. There will be some conference games that may float before. But first, the non-conference has to be factored in. Here's what we know. All of the ESPN events will be held in Orlando. It's not official yet, but that's where it's trending. That's ESPN-owned events. All their tournaments. We call them MTEs, multiple team events. Orlando, Wooden, even the Diamond Head, Charleston, Myrtle Beach, Champions Classic, which is not a tournament, but it may turn into that. We'll see. Um, All those kind of events will be held in Orlando, same place as the bubble we're seeing with the NBA. The Gazelle Group, which runs the Legends and Empire Classic, teaming up with the Hall of Fame, which runs Kansas City and 
uh, an event at the Mohegan Sun. They're all going to be at the Mohegan Sun, different dates in December. Bubble, scenario, pod, whatever you want to call it. You come in, everyone gets tested, hopefully daily testing by then. You stay in the same hotel and you end up playing games, multiple games. The Battle for Atlantis, they've made it clear, the organizers in the Atlantis Bahamas, that name will not transfer this year. They'll be back in 2021. Seven of the eight teams, we'll see if Duke joins them, but at least seven of the eight are planning on going to South Dakota, whatever they're going to call it, for an event they would play in South Dakota. The Maui Invitational, keeping that name for this year, will be played in Asheville. Kind of similar when um, I covered the Paradise Jam three years ago, supposed to be in the Virgin Islands, ended up playing at a host school, Liberty, in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, because of a hurricane, they could not go to the Virgin Islands. So all these things are going to get worked out. It's all going to be worked out. And these teams are going to play, I'm going to say a minimum of seven non-conference games. And I think the one-bid league teams are going to either piggyback on these other events, create their own events. We're seeing Louisville calling out, hey, we got, we're going to have good testing. We're going to have an event. I think Kentucky's going to do the same thing. Duke is probably going to do the same thing. Um, Georgia Tech may do the same thing. So all these schools are looking to have events on their campus, invite regional teams so they can get games. And these other, you know, I don't like mid, I don't like the labels, but one bid leagues, we'll call them for now. They're going to create uh, events with each other to where they can get games in a centralized location. Still premature on how conference play will factor in, but non-conference, I figure that's how it's going to be. So things are happening. And uh, we're going to have a season. I told you that. I believed it. And it's all going to happen. So that's why you are going to hear from these players on these teams in my Power 36. Also, Cats ranks. Last week, the Eastern Conference Finals, Heat Celtics. I ranked the top 10 college players. Doing the same now for the Western Conference Finals with the Nuggets and the Lakers. That's all coming up here on the podcast. So. Let's segue two players from Tennessee, John Fulkerson and Eve Ponds. And now joining me here, March Madness, March Madness 365 from Tennessee, uh, Eve Ponds and John Fulkerson of a team that uh, in my new Power 36, I have at number 10. Uh, so we've got a new start date on November 25th. So why not put out a new Power 36 to get everyone excited about the season? So Eve and John, I'll start with you. Um, you gotta make me look good here. Why is this a potential top 10 team, Eve? Uh, I think we have a lot of depth on this team. Uh, the new guys coming in, uh, great guys. I think this year we're gonna have a team that can play both uh, ends of the floor, uh, both ends of the floor in uh, a high level. And especially in defense, I think we have the, one of the greatest defensive team in the country. So we're gonna rock on that. John, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that he was saying. I think that our depth um, is really going to help us. Um, I think that we got a lot of good guys returning and we have a lot of uh, really good pieces coming in. And so I think um, just, you know, continuing to practice and play together, I think um, I think we can really show uh, what we can bring to the table. All right. So let's pick up on that last point about the newcomers. I mean, outstanding recruiting class led by Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. So help me out and you both can ping pong here back and forth. I haven't seen them obviously since they've arrived. You have. What have you seen? Those guys can hoop. I mean, they're young guys, but 
they pick it up quick. They're really, they're really smart on both ends of the throw. They're really aggressive. And defensively, they're just, they're just phenomenal. I mean, they have quick hands. They're willing to, uh, uh, to work hard in defense. Um, that's what I saw from them. I, I think they're both, uh, like you said, they're both very athletic. They both have great basketball IQ um, for freshmen. And so I think that really translates to the college level. Um, they really know how to play the game of basketball. Um, they're really aggressive. Uh, their bodies are really well put together. And so I really think uh, they're going to help us at the guard positions. So, John, and, 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 and Eve, you pick up on the back end of this. I want to go back, first of all, to last March. Obviously, none of us saw what was coming. Um, but this team felt like you guys were rising as we're getting, you know, to the SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, uh, a game of what if here. What do you think could have occurred had we had the postseason that we all had hoped? John? I think that we were playing our best basketball at the end of the season, and that's something you want to do. And so I think heading into the SEC tournament, we had a lot of uh, momentum behind us. Like I said, we we're playing our best basketball, and we we're really playing together as a team. And so I really just think that for us, we just need to go out there and play the games and, and see where our, our momentum would take us because playing that well at the end of the season and for it having to take that long, I think that's just seeing us finally coming together and playing as a team. You? Yeah, just like you, like you said, I mean, we had a lot of up and downs during the season, but at the end we found a, a good rhythm. And I think um, on the SEC tournament, we, we could have done pretty good and much more that's going to go far and much more that's too. Uh, that's the type of reason you, you want to, to have like a deal the season. That's how we have it. And uh, sadly, got a short, but I think we have to do great. So, Eve um, and John, if I can get both your reaction on this as well. Uh, we all knew that a date was coming, but just hearing a start of the season after everything everyone has been through and still going through uh, since last March, uh, what was your raw reaction when you heard, okay, this season is starting on November 25th? All right, my mind's like the national championship. I heard uh, we're coming back on the 25th. I was like, yeah, yeah let's get it. That's, that's our year right now. So we're going to put a lot of work this summer. Uh, we're still working really hard every day. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, we're working for a championship. Uh, same as Eve. As soon as I heard that start date, it just made me want to go that much harder in practice because for Eve and I, you know, it, it's our senior year. It's our last year here at Tennessee. And so, uh, we don't want to leave any doubt out there. And so it just made me so much more excited for the season, knowing there's going to be a season. And like you say, you know, having really big goals for, for our team this year. So we're still in the middle of this. I mean, we're not anywhere out of the woods yet. Still have a lot of protocols. Everyone has to be careful. Um, I've seen on social media, you guys have been great about wearing your masks as you're entering the gym. If you can, for both of you, just what's it been like, you know, to deal with the protocols as we get, you know, closer to hopefully... Um, well, regular practice will start October 14th. And then, you know, we're hoping obviously everything goes well before that. But what, what's it been like to go through these and then get on the court? I mean, it's been something that you I would have never expected um, in our wildest dreams. You know, we never would have thought that we would have had to, you know, wear masks, working out in the weight room with each other, that we would have, uh, you know, not been able to work out with our teammates, not been able to work out with a coach. And so it's been really um, a different time Um Compared to regular, you know, a summer, we would full team practice for eight weeks. And those eight weeks are very uh, important and very crucial to our team and to our season. And so it's just been um, kind of a setback uh, having all the restrictions that, that we have. 
I think I think in Tennessee we had um, we did a good job to figure out things out. I mean, COVID didn't stop us to practicing. Uh, we did a good job keeping our distance, uh, wearing the mask, and I think nobody is complaining about it. We just keep working, keep working, and just stay focused on our goal. So I want to just go to the NBA here for a moment. In, in that, um, what we've seen out of the NBA and the WNBA down in the bubble is them all being all the players, really everyone being empowered about messages through social justice. And we've seen college athletes speaking out like never before, which is great. And we all should embrace that voice and encourage that voice. Um, When it gets time for your turn um, in November, when you guys have that platform, how do you expect it's going to play out, Eve? I mean, just like the NBA do, I mean, um, we have a lot of people that look to us, so we have to show example. Uh, bring our voice on the table and trying to have the best impact as possible. John? Uh, I think, you know, maybe we'll come together as a team and maybe think of something that, that we can do to let our voices be heard and to represent ourselves the best way possible and the University of Tennessee. And, and John, what's it been like maybe initially to have those real original raw conversations that I know every team and every coaching staff had? Uh, maybe they heard things before, but I'm getting the sense from talking to countless people that everyone's really listening now to each other, to their teammates, to their staff, um, to what they've gone through, especially, obviously, white players to black players, and to really hear what they've gone through when they leave that court, when that uniform is not on them. What has that been like for you, John, and your teammates? I think that's the biggest thing is actually listening to our players and our coaches and each other now that we've really taken notice to it and it's got our attention. I think that's the biggest thing is just listening and gaining knowledge about what's going on and just learning from, from my teammates and from my coaches and, uh, and seeing how things can get better. Eve, what about you? How have you seen your teammates and your staff become allies? Just like John say, um, you know, uh, not much to say about, uh, more about it, but you bring everybody together, um, you know, as a team, everybody is up to each other listen to each other, to everybody's stories. And I mean, we got to keep listening and keep people hear uh, our voices. And the last thing, I, you know, I want to end on a, on a high here of a former teammate who's, you know, really exceeded expectations. I always knew he could, but just to see it down in the bubble, and that's Grant Williams and, and playing significant minutes for the Celtics during their playoff run. But even more importantly, near the end of games or at the end of games, what's it been, if you can both chime in on what you've seen from your friend and former teammate Grant Williams and down what he's done in the bubble for the Celtics. I'll start with you, Eve, and, and, and then, John, you can finish up. I mean, I watch every game of him, and uh, it's just incredible. It makes me so happy to see him out there, especially him being at the end of the game. It means a lot. It meant a lot for him. It meant a lot for the team because only the best players are like um, players that the coach really trusts. Uh, they're out there. So seeing over there, big, big plays, uh, represent the, the, the mindset of Tennessee is just, just incredible. And it's, uh, it's good for him. It's good for us. Good for Tennessee. Yeah, same as Eve. You know, I'm really happy for Grant, really proud of Grant. And like you said, I think being in at the end of the game, uh, th- that means that uh, Coach Stevens really trusts Grant. And I think that we all know Grant's basketball IQ is top notch, some of the best I've ever seen. And so, um, with Grant being out there, I know Grant's going to make the right play, even on that stage. And I have no doubt that Grant should be in the game at the end of the games. I mean, like you said, he, he's representing us well. He's even wearing uh, Tennessee-issued shoes. And so uh, 
he's still supporting Tennessee, and uh, he really makes our program look really well. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Um, Tennessee, one of my top 10 teams entering this season. Stay safe, and I hope to talk to you soon about basketball as we get closer and closer to the season. Thank you. And now it's time for the Power 36, the debut. I f- it feel Even though I've done Power 36 since the end of last season, this feels like the first one of the season. So here it is. Counting down from 36 to 1, my Power 36. First of all, here are the teams that I had under consideration. Arizona, Arkansas, Auburn, Bradley, Boise State, BYU, Cincinnati, Clemson, Colorado, Dayton, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Loyola Chicago, Memphis, NC State, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, St. John, San Diego State, SMU, and Utah. That's a mouthful. All right, let's start at number 36, St. Louis. All right, the Billikens got a great one-two punch, Jordan Goodwin and Hassan French. Uh, They should give Travis Ford a team that will be in the thick of the A-10 title race all season. At number 35, I think some people think I should have LSU higher. Tigers have the talent to be higher and could challenge in the SEC with Trenton Watford and Javante Smart. They'll be the leaders of this squad. At number 34, Northern Iowa. Uh, Bradley won the Valley Tournament, but Northern Iowa was the best team during the regular season. A.J. Green is back. He's the best player in the Valley. So Northern Iowa makes the list. At number 33, UConn. Huskies have one of the top two Big East recruiting classes. They bring back James Booknight, and they're in the Big East. So Dan Hurley has a squad ready to make an impact. At number 32, Purdue. The Boilermakers lost a few key players to transfer portal, Matt Harms and no gel Eastern, but uh, Travion Williams is back. And new names that I think you got to know. Jay Ivey, Brandon Newman, Ethan Morton. At number 31, Seton Hall. Okay, look, they lost Miles Powell, but they bring back Miles Kale, Sandro, Mamo Kalashvili, and the addition of Harvard transfer, Bryce Aiken. So the Pirates, they're going to have a squad that'll challenge for a top four finish in the Big East. At number 30, Providence. The Friars, I thought were one of the hottest teams not named Villanova entering the Big East tournament. They're going to bring back A.J. Reeves, David Duke, Nate Watson, a new point guard in St. Joe's transfer, Jared Bynum, and this team will be ready to roll early. Number 29, Florida. All right, the talent is there for the Gators, but the issue with this team consistently is always, you know, can they deliver? And last year, they were all over the place. But Keontae Johnson, Noah Locke, Scotty Lewis, Trey Mann are back. So they should be a top 30 team. At number 28, Alabama. All right, Nate Oates has a squad that he's building like he had at Buffalo. John Petty Jr., Herb Jones are back. I like the Tide to be in the NCAA tournament. At number 27, Oregon. And look, the Ducks have never disappointed. Uh, They've gotten better throughout the course of a season. And adding Rutgers transfer Eugene Omarui um, will have a major impact for them. Will Richardson's back. Now, but replacing Peyton Pritchard is going to be a massive hole. Uh, so I still have to have them in the top 30. At number 26, North Carolina. They have to replace Cole Anthony, but a great recruiting class. Big man Garrison Brooks is back. So I, I like the Tar Heels to certainly be in the thick of everything uh, for a bid after an anomaly last season that had them finishing at the bottom of the ACC. At number 25, Richmond. Chris Mooney has Grant Golden, Nick Sherrod, and Jacob Gilliard back. And the Spiders are going to be the team to beat in the 8-10. Yes, Richmond. At number 24, Stanford. All right, Terrell Terry left for the NBA draft. But the Cardinal, they still got a squad that can challenge for the Pac-12 title. 
Oscar De Silva, love him, exceptional leader. Dejon Davis, steady. And Zaire Williams, another huge coup for Jared Haas in recruiting. At number 23, West Virginia. The Mountaineers have one of the best front courts in the country in Oscar Shibwe and Derek Culver. Uh, but if the Mountaineers can be press Virginia, then they can certainly move up. At number 22, Houston. The Cougars will be the team to beat in the American. Caleb Mills, Quentin Grimes, Dijon Giroux. They got a squad that's going to be as tough as their coach, Kelvin Sampson. All right, number 21, Florida State. Here's what I do know. I know not to doubt Leonard Hamilton. The squad may not have household names yet, but they will. And they're going to be the top 25 team because they always are lately. Malik Osborne and MJ Walker are the top returnees, but trust me, they're going to be in there. They're going to be in the thick of it. Number 20, Texas. Shaka Smart, his best chance to challenge for top three finish in the Big 12 since he's been there. Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones are back, and he added Greg Brown. Greg Brown could have gone to the G League, did not. So, good to see some patience in Austin with Shaka Smart. At number 19, UCLA. Uh, The Bruins were one of the hottest teams at the end of last season. Chris Smith, Tiger Campbell are back, and they're defending the way Mick Cronin's teams always did at Cincinnati. At number 18, I'm really high on Indiana. Trace Jackson Davis, Joey Brunk. That's a great front court. Al Durham, Rob Finnessy, two of the most experienced backcourt players in the Big Ten. At number 17, Michigan, Isaiah Livers. Could have gone to the league. He's back. He's going to be healthy. Franz Wagner, same deal. Banner sophomore year is coming for him. Juwan Howard putting his fingerprints even more on this program. Number 17, Michigan. Number 16, Creighton. The Blue Jays have a potential Big East player of the year in Marcus Zigarowski. Mitch Ballack will be a big-time shooter for them. Uh, and they're going to rip and run and score out of Omaha. So Creighton, number 16. Number 15, Texas Tech. Here's why I love the Red Raiders. Okay. Marcus Santos Da Silva, the transfer from VCU, I think is one of the hidden stars in the country. I think people forgot that he transferred from VCU to Texas Tech. Kyler Edwards, Avery Benson. I mean, he is just a just such a hard worker, glue guy, does everything for them. And then if Mac McClung is eligible as a Georgetown transfer, the Red Raiders are going to be right there. At number 14, Arizona State. The Sun Devils, my pick to win the Pac-12. They got Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge in the backcourt. They add a big-time recruit in Josh Christopher. Uh, so Bobby Hurley should have a team that's going to be right there. Sometimes they've struggled early and got better late. Then they've had good wins early and then struggled in the league. I think they're going to be good from the get-go. Number 13, Rutgers. I'm big on the Scarlet Knights. Geo Baker, Ron Harper Jr., the whole core of this team is back. Cliff Omarui, a big-time recruit inside. They they show they could win on the road. At the end of last season when they knocked off Purdue, they should have been in the tournament. If there was a tournament, first time since 91, so they're going to have the chip on their shoulder to go forward. At number 12, Michigan State. Spartans have one of the top wing groups in the country, uh, led by Rocket Watts. They have so many options on the wing. Joshua Lankford could be back. That could be huge for them. He's one of their best scorers before he got hurt. So, oh, and of course, they have the Marquette transfer sitting out who's ready to play, Joey Hauser. Uh, the big question, of course, is the point. We'll see where Tom Izzo settles. Uh, and they won't be as big or strong, I should say, inside without Xavier Tillman. They'll be quicker and they'll be extremely experienced. At number 11, Duke. Uh, the Blue Devils have a Six-player top five recruiting class, return of Wendell Moore, Michael Hurt, Joey Baker, Jordan Goldwire actually gives them some experience. So uh, he'll be fine. This squad will be right there 
to make another push. At number 10, Tennessee. So high on the Vols. John Fulkerson, Eve Pons, uh, a stud recruiting class led by Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. This program is going to push Kentucky for the top spot in the SEC. You know, maybe I should have picked Tennessee ahead of Kentucky, but Kentucky has the top recruiting class in the country, so it's always hard to pick against them at the top of the SEC. Uh, but they're not going to have as many experienced players back. Uh, Keon Brooks obviously will be that lead experienced player, but uh, there's just so much talent coming in. So you could go either way with Tennessee or Kentucky at the top of the SEC. At number eight, Kansas. Um, once again, you could have Texas Tech ahead of Kansas, and I wouldn't be appalled by that. Uh, the Jayhawks have the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year back in Marcus Garrett, Dave McCormick. Um, he'll replace Yudoka Azubuke. And uh, look, I expect the Jayhawks to be really uh, thirsty to challenge the team I've got ahead of them in this top 10 in the Big 12. At number seven, Virginia. Cavaliers enter as the ACC favorite. They got the addition of Sam Hauser. They return to Jay Huff. Uh, Kihei Clark is back as one of the most competent point guards in the country. Number six, Wisconsin. Badgers earned a three-way share of the Big Ten regular season title after a brutal non-conference. They lose only one contributing player. They may not have a big-time star, but they've got a team. And number five, Iowa. Luke Garza will be the preseason Big Ten and National Player of the Year. Jordan Bohanna is back from his hip injury. Joe Wieskamp returns. Um, this is Fran McCaffrey's best team in Iowa. And number four, Illinois. Illinois has got two of the top returning players in the country, Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn. They were the biggest winners of the early entry draft process. Love Georgie Bashanisvili, Trent Frazier. This squad is ready to roll at the beginning under Brad Underwood. And number three, Villanova. Colin Gillespie, uh, potential Big East player of the year. They only lose one starter. Nucleus is all there. Seniors, this program's rolling. Baylor at number two. Jared Butler, preseason Big 12 Player of the Year for me. Um, they were number one in the country for quite some time last season. They're going to board. They're going to defend. Scott Drew's got the squad. They're going to be the team to beat in the Big 12. And number one, I'm not changing, Gonzaga. Corey Kispert, probably the preseason WCC Player of the Year. Joel Ayayi is back. And they added one of the best freshmen in the country in Jalen Suggs, um, Drew Timmy, Antoine Watson. Uh, I love this team. They're going to be big. Yeah, Phil Petrusev left, but that's okay. They can replace him. There are plenty of pieces for the Zags to make a great run to what could have been a Final Four last year, I think will be a Final Four this year. And yet again, they're a contender for the national championship. So that is my Power 36 to tip off what we think will be a great season, be different, may not be fair, but we're going to have a season. There you go. First real Power 36 of 2021. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers. And Ron, a couple things to unpack with you. First off, um, just released my Power 36 as a part of this podcast. Um, and those listening heard it earlier in this podcast. Um, I've got Rutgers at number 13 in the country and, uh, in the big 10 that puts you in that fifth spot. I've done big 10 power rankings where I've had you guys consistently either in the four or five spot. So as you know, I'm very high on this squad. Uh, we know the start date, so that's all positive. So we can go forward now. Uh, what do you think about legitimately putting Rutgers down in the preseason as a top 15 team? 
Oh, that's definitely big for us. You know, it just shows the progress we've made since I've been here since the start of the 2018 season. Like talking about Rutgers being top 15 in 2020, you told me that when I was a freshman, I would I would have looked at you crazy. But you know, me me and my teammates, we trusted the grind, we trusted the hard work, we trusted the coaches, but most importantly, we trusted each other, and, and it brought us to great places. And we brought in a lot of good pieces, a lot of new pieces, and. We work for that preseason ranking, and we know it's just a preseason ranking, and we have the whole season to look forward to, but we're going to use that as a chip on our shoulder. So last March, you guys would have been in the NCAA tournament. It would have been the first time since 1991. Uh, the core of this team is all back. Uh, you add an impressive big man in Cliff Omarui, um, who certainly will have a major impact on the squad. Um, Basketball-wise, and we'll get to the other issues here in a moment, but basketball-wise, how much is that driving this team that you guys were so close to realizing your goal of getting in the tournament and then something out of your control, it was taken away? It definitely hurt last year. You know, a lot of us did some self-evaluating after the season was over because it happened in such a fast period of time. You know, we were getting ready to play Michigan in the Big Ten tournament five minutes before the game tips off. Tell us that the tournament's canceled. We get on the plane, head back to the Skyway, we land, and we and we, uh, we hear the tournament got canceled 30 minutes ago. So life hits you fast. And the 15 young men in that plane crying, tears coming to their face, you know, because we worked so hard for that moment and we earned that moment. And it just all got taken away from us. Something that wasn't in our control, wasn't in anybody's control, but just by a virus. And then it just struck a global pandemic. But me and my teammates, we love basketball and we love each other and we love this team. And that love grew even deeper when something that meant so much was taken from us. So we take that personal and we're looking forward to step on the court again. So how much better will this team be? I, I think a lot better. You know, we brought in four great pieces. Oscar came all the way from Sweden. He early enrolled. So he was here last last January. So he already got to see what this team can do. He already got in the gym with uh, Coach Van Dyke. He knows all our plays and stuff like that. So he's a step ahead. And, you know, you got Cliff Omaroy and, you know, he just speaks for himself. Like I say his name and I'm sure almost everybody watching this is going to know exactly who I'm talking about. He's just, he's a force in the paint, whether he's blocking shots, grabbing rebounds or showing his freakish athletic ability, he's going to be a problem for sure. And, you, you know, Mawat Mag, Australian, came from, came from prolific prep all the way in Cali. He's a great piece. And, you know, that prolific team was, was real loaded last year. And I think a lot of people didn't really get to see everything that he could do, but he's a special, talented, diverse, versatile player, and he can do a lot of things on the court. And then you got Dean Reber from North Carolina, and, you know, he's my guy. You know, I have so much faith in him, and I think if we just keep bringing him on the right way, he keeps gaining confidence. He's going to be a real force to be reckoned with in this league, and he's going to be a name for people to watch out for. So uh, I was there. You know, I was right there with you guys when you guys were about to play Michigan uh, in Indianapolis, and it was just surreal and bizarre for all of us there. Um, can you just take me back, just going back one moment to before, I know you mentioned getting on the plane there, but what was that like? And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I was standing there courtside and there were no fans. And we have to assume at this point, as we're taping this in, in mid-September, that at this juncture, when the season starts, we can't anticipate fans. We hope there's going to be fans as we get deeper into the season, but more than likely at the beginning, there will not be. Um, you didn't get a chance to play in that environment, but you almost did. Uh, what was that like knowing that you were going to go out and play in front of basically your teammates, maybe some ushers, and that was about it? It was definitely weird. Like, the vibe just felt so different compared to, like, everywhere, every other game we played this season. Like, we walked into the gym, we got dressed, and, like, you're even in that locker room, and the energy is just, just dead. It doesn't feel the same. 
Because like I said, like, they told us fans weren't going to be allowed the Big Ten tournament. That's like a, a moment we were all waiting for, you know. Michigan got us twice last season over looking for that third time to be the charm, to get, to get them back for the times they beat us for ending our undefeated streak at the rack. And then, uh, you know, we just walked out there and you see an empty, empty arena. You, you're just like, wow, like, this is really about to happen. And this is, this is just surreal and unbelievable. And just you know, that whole warm-up. Like even looking over at Michigan, like everybody was just everybody just looked a little bit slower. So if we know that's going to happen and we've seen it with the NBA down in the bubble, now they have some pumped in sound and maybe that'll happen. How much different will it be coming up this season, knowing that's what maybe you have to deal with uh, and you may have to create your own energy uh, without fans? I think focusing on that is a big part of it. Like, I, I feel like if we had a lot more time to prepare for no fans, we would have been ready for it. Like now, like you see the NBA dudes playing in the bubble and you see them just running up and down, hooping. That's just something we all want to get back to. And even if there's no fans, like playing in the NBA bubble looks amazing. It looks so much fun right now. It looks like a great time for all the players. So, like, I think all my teammates could back me on this. I don't think we really it really matters whether we're playing in front of fans or not. We just want to tip the throw the ball up, tip it off, and play basketball against somebody. So last week when the announcement was made about November 25th, and we all anticipated they would make an announcement of, of, of a date at some point, but just hearing that's the start of the season. And I know nothing's written in stone, but we expect that the season will start on that date. Um, what was your and your teammates' reaction knowing, okay, we got a start date now? I was excited, you know, because in a world of uncertainty, especially right now, you never know when something's going to get canceled, something's going to get brought back, postponed. So when they gave us that official date, November 25th, it's like it's something for us to look forward to. And there's 60-something days until that day hits us, but it's something for us Scarlet Knights to look forward to, to keep working hard for, because once they gave us the certainty that we will have a season, uh, the determination got different. You know, it got a lot more real for us. All right, so look, on campus, Rutgers is one of those schools that has, you know, obviously had to deal with um, no students or very few students being on campus outside of athletes. Um, so it's got to be surreal for you. What's it been like being there without the general student body? Uh, it's just weird. And, you know, the places where it just feels so dead and so, like, empty, it's just like when you're walking to the performance center for practice, like, there's nobody outside. Like, you might see, like, four people. And most likely those people are athletes. Like, usually walking from my apartment to, to the gym, like, you see, like, people sitting around at chairs, somebody, like, throwing a football in the yard. Just like a typical college experience. And it just it feels so different now. Like, even when you're walking in your apartment, whether it's a teammate or your athlete, you're not going to see anybody else, like, that's just how it's going to be. And it's just, it's definitely been weird dynamic, but it's definitely given us an, uh, a lot of time to focus on ourselves and to focus on bettering ourselves and uh, keeping our head on straight. So uh, we'll take what we can get. And what about health and safety? Um, what's it been like to at least practice, you know, with the parameters uh, and the protocols that uh, certainly will be with us for the foreseeable future? The parameters and protocols are definitely crazy. And like, if you would have told me we were doing this a year ago today, I would have looked at you crazy and I would have been like, no way. But it's just, it's, just, it's just great to be out there with our team, with your teammates, your coaches, and, you know, everybody here, we all feel safe. We're all getting taken care of by our coaches and our coaching staff and our medical staff. So we all it's, it's all good. As long as we get to come here and play basketball, we don't have any complaints. So, look, Ron, um, obviously, you know, social justice has been at the forefront, hopefully, of everyone's mind um, over the last, you know, four or five months. Uh, and, you know, there, a lot of things have happened in terms of COVID-related, the start of the season. But it can't get lost. We're seeing what the NBA, the WNBA, are they're basically leading uh, out there in terms of, you know, wearing names, say the names, 
uh, making sure that people do not forget what this is all about. How do you see this happening for Rutgers and in college basketball once it's your turn to be out in the spotlight? Uh, Social justice is definitely the first thing on our minds right now. Like I have this shirt on right here. It says we are equal and it's it's just a a fist and, you know, that fist, it, it embodies black power. But the NBA has done a great job setting the tone for us younger guys and us athletes coming up, especially those NFL and college football players and the NBA players. Like you see a lot of them kneeling for the flag, a lot of them talking about justice for Breonna Taylor and people like that. So we look to set the trend in college basketball, too. I'm sure the first time you see a college basketball game tipped off, there will be a tribute to those lost by police brutality in some way. And I can promise you that. And what do you what kind of conversations have you had with your father? Because, you know, when he played in the league, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, athletes weren't as outspoken. Uh, There was a little bit of a lull in the 90s with it. Uh, You know, obviously in the 60s and 70s, more athletes were outspoken. And then the 80s and 90s, a little bit of a dip. And obviously now we're seeing it more and more using that platform, that celebrity status, whether it's college or pro. What, What kind of conversations have you had about this? My dad has been a great person to talk to in the light of all this because he told me back then, like when he was playing in the 90s and early 2000s, like players were like scared to speak up because they felt like people had control of them and they felt like people could just get rid of them with a snap. And, you know, now with everybody speaking up and players realizing like realizing how powerful their messages are to people, like you're just encouraging a bunch of people. To, to hop on a bandwagon and, and to fight for social justice and to fight for change. And my dad's been great. He, he's not swaying me this way or that way. He's telling me to speak with your chest and speak what's on your mind. And Ron, uh, and, I, and I love that you're doing this. I appreciate it. And I, and I look forward to seeing what you and your teammates are going to do. You're going forward and supporting it and empowering it. Um, but I have to ask one lighter note here. During the pandemic, uh, the last dance was obviously uh-huh. captivating all of us when we were all trapped in our homes. Your father obviously had a major role in the Bulls and really both sides of that. Um, what was it like to watch, uh, you know, that series and see your dad's role in all of that? It was great. It was amazing. You know, a whole documentary about a team that my dad played for, about a legacy that my father was a part of. It was just an amazing experience to watch and just watching those 10 episodes. Like, you wish you could have 10 more. And, like, you wish you could have season two, season three, season four it just gave basketball life again. Like in a world of so much dark, there was no sports going on, anything. Everybody was looking forward to Sunday to watch the last dance. And it was just, it was as incredible as it was advertised. Well, Ron, I appreciate it. Uh, Stay safe and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Rutgers top 15 for me, number 13 in my newest power 36. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, now it's time for the Cats' ranks of the top 10 college players from the Western Conference Finals down in the NBA bubble between the Lakers and the Nuggets. This was very difficult to trim down. Let's start at number 10. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, KCP, played at Georgia, obviously now with the Lakers, from 2011 to 2013. In those two seasons, he was an impact player. 18.7 boards as a sophomore, 13-5 and as a freshman, started 60 of 64 games for the Georgia Bulldogs. At number nine, Danny Green from North Carolina, now with the Lakers. He was an NCAA champ in 2009, played four years, got better every year, nearly every statistical category, shot 41% from three as a senior. Number eight, Rajon Rondo from Kentucky, now with the Lakers. In his two years with the Wildcats, He was a leader, 
nearly a two to one assist to turnover ratio. Started every game as a freshman, only missed six starts as a sophomore and a 49% shooter. Pretty good for a point guard. Um, outstanding, really, mini run for him at Kentucky. At number seven, Kata Bates-Diop from Ohio State, now playing with the Nuggets. Four-year player at Ohio State. Came back from an injury, so he missed a year in between. And as a senior, he ends up as the Big Ten Player of the Year. Averaged 19 and 8. Uh, led the Buckeyes to the NCAA tournament and just really had an outstanding senior season um, for Chris Holtman, who had taken over the job for Thad Mata. So he needed Kata to play like that for him. At number six, Quinn Cook from Duke with the Lakers. NCAA champ in 2015. Played four years. Majority of that time, he was a starter in his final three seasons. 45% from the field. Averaged 15 points a game in that senior season. He was a leader. He was a champ. At number five, Mason Plumley from Duke, playing with the Nuggets. He was a champ as a freshman in 2010. His points grew from 11 to 17. Nine boards as a senior. 60% shooter as a senior. So Mason Plumley, really a solid college career while playing for Duke. At number four, Paul Millsap from Louisiana Tech, now playing with the Nuggets. Three years at Louisiana Tech. Goes from 15 to 20 to 19 points. So, you know, stayed in the right direction for the most part. Dozen boards first two years, then 13 boards a game. How about this stat? Started 91 of 92 games at Louisiana Tech. At number three, Monte Morris. Playing for the Nuggets. Played at Iowa State. Four years at Iowa State. Started every game from his sophomore to his senior year. Ended up at 16 points a game, six assists to one turnover. Great stats. Over the last couple of years, uh, he was outstanding. At number two, one of my favorite players to cover in college basketball, Jared Dudley from BC. Now uh, playing off the bench for the Lakers. ACC Player of the Year as a senior. Sweet 16. How about this stat? 130 games he played at BC. He started 130. Senior year, 19 points, eight boards, 55% from the field, 44 on threes, 74% as a free throw shooter. He got better every year. He made himself into an ACC player of the year and an NBA player between that junior and senior year. Outstanding by Jared Dudley. One of the highest basketball IQs uh, I think that we've seen in quite some time. So he makes number two for me. And at number one, we're seeing him become this megastar three-pointer to win game two for the Lakers. A champ, Anthony Davis from Kentucky. Champ in 2012, started all 40 games that one season. 14 points a game, four blocks a game, 10 boards a game. He was dominant without having to be a dominant stat stuffer because he bought into the team concept for John Calipari. Remember, this was a player who early in his high school career was a guard. He grew a significant amount between freshman year and senior year and became this big man, but he has guard skills. That's what we're seeing in the NBA. His ability to put the ball on the floor, make threes. Cal didn't need him to do that as much on that team, but he was a rim protector, shot blocker. And on my list of the top 10 Western Conference Finals college players, Anthony Davis is number one. 
And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We got a season to plan for. We got rankings. We got a lot to talk about over the next month and a half, two months, uh, essentially two months. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to fly here. 60 days. It's going to be flying at us, and we're going to be getting ready for this season. As always, a big thank you to our outstanding team who continue to work at home and remote. Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and our entire NCAA.com team. You can check out all our content on our social media platforms related to March Madness and NCAA.com. As always, appreciate all of you. Love the engagement. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week.